Today is the last part of our Thinking Rightly series. It's been um, intense, this series, much more than I anticipated. Um, each week, I probably did more reading than any other series that I've ever done. Um, and I consequently, because a person like me, I'm, I'm a big NF, the feeler, internal, intuitive feeler. So the tensions and spiritual battle in my heart was uh, severe, in intense. But at the same time, I was so glad that God is bringing up, bringing up these things that I personally and that our church as a body of Christ kind of avoided conveniently in some sense. Um, today, my heart is on a different mode. In the past two, two messages, the topic itself has so much of a potential, emotionally charged topic. And today, in, in objectively speaking, it is. But knowing that the vast majority of our congregation it's an Asian American, some white. Um, I feel compelled to actually create tension this morning if I were to be faithful to the Word of God. So this is a fair warning, right? So why we must think rightly about racial Reconciliation, sorry. Some of you um, maybe went through grad school and social science and different things and sociologists and anthropologists will say something like, there is no such a thing as race. So in a biological sense, it is true but it is inevitable to think about race as a, a group to which we belong, whether it's an ethnicity, whether it's a bone structure. The, it's a type of group that we belong as a, in society. So I don't mean race as a very academical term at all in one-sided. It means also, uh, in my sermon at least, means also ethnic groups or cultural groups to which we identify ourselves. What about racism? Let's define racism first so we know what we're talking about. Racism is defined as an explicit or implicit belief or practice that qualitatively distinguish or values one race over other races. There are at least four reasons why this is so crucial that I feel compelled to rock the boat this morning. <clears throat> Number one is, a, is it is an ever-present issue with real problems, racial prejudice, tension, and discrimination. One of the reasons why we're, I've decided to do summer series on this Thinking Rightly series is because of Charleston incident. I'm sure all of you follow the news, and even the news prior to leading up to that. But one article that I read in New, the New York Times, June 20th, 2015, reported by the name of Lydia Paul Green, captures, this is an actor, just only an actor, captures the, uh, the reality of our current condition. She writes, the massacre at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston was something else entirely from the police killings. But it too has become a racial flashpoint and then and stepped, swept aside whatever ambiguity seemed to muddle those earlier cases, boldly posing questions about 
race in America. Was the gunman a crazed loner motivated by nothing more than his own madness? Or was he an extreme product of the same legacy of racism that many black Americans believed sent Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Eric Garner, Walter Scott, and Tamid Rice to their graves? Greg Tate, a black writer and musician, said, black people could not help feel but could not help but feel that they're under, under siege in a society afflicted with amnesia about its own history. There has always just been a constant denial in America that racism really exists, Mr. Tate said. As James Baldwin says, there is just an incapacity of white Americans to look at themselves as bad people. We see the Dylan Roof. There is already a rush to not only dissociate other Ameri white Americans from his violence, but to distance himself from his own stated investment in white supremacy ideology. The era of instantaneously shared images holds out hope for change. Cell phone videos of police officers shooting unarmed black males shocked the conscience of Americans, the theory goes, just as TV footage of beautiful, a peaceful black protesters menaced by vicious dogs and water canyons in the civil rights era troubled white Americans of that time. So when, if you follow through that, it's inevitable disturbing images. Uh, it's not just only white Americans' consciences disturbed, but any kind of ethnic, ethnicity you might be coming from. What do you do with that? So Asians are known for just being quiet and in a model citizen, model um, minority, and in the corner, we don't make troubles and we don't really speak out. The last person raised their hand in the classroom is usually Asian American, right? So is it just a black and white issue? You know it, and I know it. It is not. Just a few years prior to this, Private Daniel Chen, who was born in America, Chinese descent, went to Afghanistan, was abused, called racial slurs, and systematically, the soldiers and his commanding officers abused him so much on the day that um, he, shoot, he shot himself in the head, he was dragged by his drill sergeant, or the sergeant, about 100 feet on the gravel. And what is surprising to me is when I look at the picture of Daniel Chen, good-looking guy. He doesn't, sound, he doesn't look like one of those fob pictures, just fresh off the boat. He seemed well-adjusted, and obviously the first generation, his parents are just in a deep pain as they watch the intensity of court system kind of dwindle down and it, at the end, there wasn't really severe punishment for those perpetrators. Of course, on the news, the army uh, commanding officer, will, the general, will say very straightforward that this is never tolerable in army these days.
I think one of the reasons why we need to face this issue is because it's so easy to get stuck in either denial or in easy lip service. One of the most uh, insightful things I read over and over as I'm getting exposed to the, the background stories of each case, the constant voice that I hear from the black Americans, African Americans, is that it is not a, just an incident out of nowhere. It has a backdrop of deep history and emotional baggage. So I look at the history. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep well that night because the image of lynching, image of uh, Jim Crow, segregation in just a very, it's not a hundred years ago, just a few decades ago, those things were happening. And should I say, even in the name of Christian religion, in the name of God-fearing, Bible-believing people, the incredible discrimination and oppression happened in America. We should mourn as Christians. We should be disturbed. It's not somebody else's problem. Thirdly, it is a difficult issue with blind spots because racism is relentlessly and sometimes very subtly indoctrinated by our own upbringing and subculture. I am a Korean American. I'm proud of my cultural heritage. But I do have to admit and confess my emotional baggage and my blind spots. The things that I cannot overcome on my own strength. Let me give you just a like a just little bit of, of that, since I don't want to get into it too much because of the time. I grew up in Seoul, Korea. Came to States when I was 16. But up until that 15, 16 years of my life, I was indoctrinated by real-life stories, horror stories of Japanese persecuting, oppressing, Koreans. The sex slavery of a comfort woman and my, my dad and my mom's personal his, history, hearing about grandparents. Um, the Christians getting persecuted as if the Baal worship happened, the emperor was a deity, and the Christian, Korean Christians were divided by two groups who those who comprom uh, compromised and who did actually went to jail for that. My dad was very clear about what product that I should buy. I should not buy, more specifically. So when, I, when we came to the States and I loved Toyota, um, for some reason, it kind of glanced over and didn't become big argument and tense the conversation. So I was so glad. I still drive two Toyotas in my, in my car. My, one of my, I mean, several of my closest friends are Japanese-American. Some of them belong to Crossway family, and I love them. But if you ask me, was it easy to just overcome? No. I have to think it over and over as a Christian. What does it mean for me to look at the issues and people? What does it mean to forgive? What does it mean to abandon and surrender self-righteousness as a victim? Or the offspring and generations of the victims? It's not easy. 
without Christ, I might use that as a rationalization and excuse. And then 16, when I came to States, my dad said uh, California is too rowdy, not good for education, so we should go somewhere quiet. We didn't even have a, you know, close friends and relatives. We end up going to suburb of Dallas. Back then, it was really, really white. So first week of uh, high school is a south 10th grade. Just remember this. Um, the reason why I, I have it now legally, my name is Paul, um, but back then obviously just got here from Korea. My Korean name, hear me correctly, okay, Kwang Hui. It's not that easy. I mean, it's not that difficult, right? So every class that I go to, teachers will call Quang Kim. My name is not Quang. So I, can't, I decided to come up with a nickname. So from the Bible, I like the name Paul, and it got stuck. The few times that I was ridiculed because of being Asian and uh, my accent, and then one time when I went to Boonie area, the, the lady who was just upset about me asking questions about uh, you know, specific things. And you know, literally, first for well, the first time in my life, why don't you go back to your country? So if, if I were a little more fluent in English, I'd probably say, why don't you go back too? Because you came from somebody, someday, someday uh, unless you're a native in Indian. But you know if you have experienced anything like that, even if it's a minor thing, there is a boiling anger, seeming, well, I don't know where, where it comes from, maybe because it's a kimchi temper, <laughs> like that. As I read the stories over and over and encounter uh, scripture, I would like to think that, oh, everything's over, everything's cool. And I'm now living in, living in California, it's so nice. I don't run into those people who makes me very uncomfortable. I love white friends here in California. It is also a gospel issue. Christ died for our reconciliation. And because of this, if you are a true Christ follower, you have to pay attention to this. Because of blind spots, the many Christians in the past, just 50, 60 years ago, maybe even shorter than that, were somehow rationalized all these prejudice, segregation. Is it a black and white issue only? Of course not. There are so many different things. A racial profiling is happening now. We ought to be, as a Christian, brothers and sisters need to be awfully cautious about Middle Eastern people. I don't know what your background is. If you think that you have arrived and you don't have any problem, you're quick to say, I have no racism in me, you're in deep trouble because our blind spot is there already. As a Christians, we need to be disturbed by the fact that Martin Luther King Jr. is right. The most segregated time of the United States is on Sunday, where people go to their own ethnic churches. 
I'll make a point about our church's application at the end. But for now, I want to see, I want us to see what we are doing in these problems. It's easy to avoid or disregard or in denial. And I feel for white Americans in some sense. Why is that when you are majority in this context, white Americans cannot really see themselves in terms of privileges. The conversation goes on, on that white American has a given privileges there. And because of that, it's hard to admit and see the real problem. Police brutality is not just the police brutality. Police brutality that stems out of racial prejudice. Stems out of the reasons why, because of the probability, because of, because of generalization, we hate to do that, right? We hate to see that other people do that to us. And even some, some shows that makes... Uh, stereotypes of Asian, we get angry. So here's a couple of things I love to do, if I may. Um, first, let's look at the scripture, and then let's apply those scripture guidance into the critical matter of actually thinking about racial reconciliation, and racial harmony. And then we will make our application as Christ follower and the church. Sorry about that. Here's the first truth from the scripture. All human beings are created equal because they are made in God's image, having the same ancestor, one man, Adam. Genesis 1, 27 was the sanctity of human life verse as well. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Not only everyone is created equal because of God's image, we need to pay attention to the fact that this whole idea of a different races is actually ending up in one person, one man. Acts chapter 17, verse 27, 26 to 27. Paul, Apostle Paul is in Athens. He's on Mars Hill. And a bunch of these people who, are, who have so many different gods and so many different idols, and he has a one-time one shot. This is how he begins his sermon. And then he points out, verse 26, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the, all the face of the earth, having determined alerted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he actually is not far from each one of us. The idea is that the reason why that even social scientists or the anthropologists will say the biological reasons is not substantial enough to say one race or the other. Very minimal differences. But there are beauty. God's design is that every single person who are different in diversity are designed to reflect God, image, mirror God, glorify God. That's the actually second point. Racism is sinful because it is a result of human beings' rebellion against God exalting themselves over against their maker and each other. Isaiah 43, verse 7, God 
plainly mentions this. Everyone who is called by name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Turning to the New Testament, Paul repeats the same principle as the purpose and chief end of every human being on earth. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But what happened? Adam and Eve have fallen. The sin came into humankind. And because of this fallen heart, rebellion happened. Some, some uh, theologians will call it it's a treason to the God and maker and lord of the universe, the king of kings. Romans 1, verse 21 to 22 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. What is the essence of racism? Pride. Remember we, we talked about thinking rightly about sin. Is a Sin is not just a, a breaking rules, but it's a dethroning God by self. God, the creator, maker of, of each one of us, instead of letting, letting God be God, we became prideful. Although it is very simple to realize that God created every human being in his own image, that we are equally valuable, sacredly valuable in God's eyes, we became superior in our own eyes. And one of the, one of the first concepts that I learned in taking sociology and anthropology class is the term ethnocentrism. Ethnocentrism is not something that you choose. You, you actually get. In other words, when you think about your own ethnic group, ethnocentrism, you tend to think about yourself as the center of the universe. So you value your, your, your ethnocentric values and judge others that way. So as a Christian, this very thought that we have is actually prideful. We need to catch ourselves. It is subtle sometimes. Because when you think about the way that uh, the Hispanic, or should I say Latinos, uh, are treated, they're not slaves, they're not servants per se, but they're poor English. They, they might not have a paper for immigration. So the way that we treat them, and I, I could really honestly say that many Asian Americans took advantage of that fact then, either as a housemaid, a housemaid or, uh, or, you know, babysitters. Any kind of help. But it became a very demeaning way of talking down, not to mention take advantage of their status and paying low amount uh, wages in cash. These are displeasing to God. Remember the definition that our thoughts and our haughty mind is displeasing to God. Living in Santa Ana, I see that. And my emotional turmoil whenever I go to my kid's school, unlike Irvine or, or Tustin Ranch, 
Our boy is the only Korean kid in the entire school. Uh, our boy is one of the very few Asian Americans. And it feels very, very different, strangely disturbing to me when I think about my high school background. And I was the only Asian kid in typical classes in very white school. For some reason, because they're mainstream uh, dominant group, ethnic group, now that Hispanics or Latinos are becoming dominant and my sons becoming minority, it disturbed me more. I'm confessing to you. As if white people are better than Latinos. And by the way, doing this research, I, I realized that Hispanics are more in linguistic term that those people who speak Spanish and you know Hispanic itself is España from Spain. The Latino is more geographical. The Latin, Latin America. So I learned that more. It, it'll be correct to say that. Am I right? Thank you. Number three, if God were just holy and righteous, he had all the right to let this sinking ship sink, that we would not have any hope. We would be in utter despair, every single human being. But God took human form, humbled himself, and took the cross. And Christ died to reconcile both Jews and Gentiles to God. Contextually, it is important to distinguish those two groups, Jews and non-Jews. That's how Jewish people and God actually saw as a chosen race and then everyone else. Non-Jews non and Gentile means everyone, every other people group, ethnic group. But in a bigger scale, the passage is very clear. They're pointing to all people being reconciled to God and to one another. There is no different categories in God's eyes. The restoration of God's creation design happened creating one new humanity in Christ. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Stan just read it, and let me, allow me to read it one more time. Pay attention to that uh, red fonts uh, sentence. That's the key verse, verses. Verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 19 through 17 through 22 is an addendum to clarification. Verse 17, And he came and preached peace 
to you who are far off and peace to those who are, who are near. Very simply, Gentiles were far off from, from God and, and the Jews were very near. For, though, for, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you see that? The condition before was hostility. Enemies, enmity. If you do some background study, the intensity between Jews and Gentiles, or even far more intense than black and white. Why is that? We're not talking about just the cultural differences, but religious, spiritual differences in belief. Convictions are deep, which are very offensive to each other. And because of this, we need to see this hostility as real. The point, point that is clear here is that racial reconciliation is the validity of true Christian discipleship. You cannot ignore it. You cannot say, it, I'll get over some time. Of course, it will take time for us to grow into it, but we need to submit to the Lordship of Christ and say, I cannot feel what I can feel, what I am feeling right now. I cannot be faithful to my feelings if it is swayed away from the truth of God. Whatever the emotional baggage is, I cannot excuse myself for generalizing, for taking my privilege under the rug. And some of you are saying, uh, I'm Asian, I get discriminated too. Maybe if you're like me, Asians have tendency to side with white Caucasians rather than black African Americans. It's no brainer why we do that. Because this is a mainstream, we have advantage and we have a benefit, we have protection. So hear me out. One of the things that we need to overcome is called a reverse racism. Reverse racism is so many different, different definitions and different uses, but I'm using this reverse definition as your own discrimination and prejudice toward your own ethnic group. Back in my high school days, now I could laugh and haha funny, right? Here I am, I just got here from Korea, and I, I get nervous. I have sweats in my palm every day. And then the American high school system is mentally not healthy. I don't know about you guys. Lunch hour, going to big cafeteria was horrible experience. I didn't go to lunch for that reason. For about three months, I went to library and write, wrote letters to my girlfriends to Korea. Because when you walk in, who do I sit with? There's jocks and there's a, there's a group of cheerleaders. There's the mathematic geeks. I don't have any place to sit. To sit alone and eat alone was so disturbing for me, I'd rather 
starve and go to library. But there were some Asians, and I was so glad to see them and find out some of them are actually Korean American. They're born here. They avoid me like a plague, <laughs> as if I have some kind of a terrible disease that's contagious to them. Why is that? Basically, to identify, be, to be identified with guys like me, Fav, they're threatened about their American identity. And so I hated them with my guts. Bananas. <laughs> I called them bananas. But some of you guys are banana. I love you. <laughs> God has mercy on me. So what is the conclusion in, in that Christ's death? In Galatians 3, 28, Paul proclaims, There is neither Jew or no, nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, take a good look at what we just went through. Catch yourself next time when you begin to think any kind of rationalization of you, about your prejudice, including your own ethnic group. Not to mention the discrimination. But more positively, this is the last point on the scripture guidance. Since God's plan of salvation is for all peoples, that's intentional, people groups, ta ethne, all nations. That's not a political nations, but ethnic groups of our entire earth. By grace, which means there's no human merit. You didn't earn it. Through faith in Christ, we must pursue racial reconciliation and diversity for God's glory. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Revelations 5 has this portrait of he heaven. This is what God delights. The reason why we have different looks and color and skin and different cultures is for this kind of colorful, delightful celebration of diversity in worshiping God. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. These are the words that heavenly beings, angelic beings, are singing in worshiping of God. So when you think about all these things, let's think a little more in concrete manner. Uh, I, I thought what will help us to think more clearly Critically, so think about what reconciliation, racial reconciliation is not, so that we could see biblical reconciliation. Racial reconciliation is not mere tolerance. I think this is the first point that we need to think about when you 
don't want to travel and rock the boat. It is also is not pluralism of peaceful coexistence. The idea of social sociologist will say um, the melting pot idea. In other words, ethnic group A and B plus C plus D is a totally different entity. The culture and the melting pot of, let's say, Z. This was a American idealism in some sense. But pluralism, this is actually in reality what's happening in Orange County and the Los Angeles, California, is A plus B plus C plus D equals A, B, C, D. There is a Korea town. There is a Chinatown. You go there. You, you be comfortable over there. there. There is a Latino, special Latino, like uh, where we could go to Puerto Rican, uh, like the Cuban food area, <laughs> right? Have you been to Cerritos Pioneer area? Indian, Asian Indian. And what happened? LA riot happened. I was on the freeway when that was breaking out. And I was helping mom to start this cafeteria in a building. So four or five coming down. It's like a war zone everywhere. Fire going everywhere. And the strange thing about the first generation Korean Americans, they protected their business, because that's all they got, with guns, with head, headbands, and shooting black people. And it became another racial issue because of that. It is not a pluralism of co peaceful coexistence. Do you know who lives right next to you? Their ethnicity? You don't want to fight with them, right? So you want to diplomatically get along. But you don't care to find out who they are. Well, I, you know, I think living in Santa Ana, I have a little more advantage because the people are more open and doors are open. It's not cookie cutter. But the more you go to design by Irvine Company, it's very difficult. It's you, you just you don't even know who lives next to you. Two more. Well, actually, three more. It requires not only individual responsibility, but also corporate responsibility. Evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians, believe in personal faith in Jesus Christ, which is a good thing. But if you look at the entire Bible, the salvation is oftentimes mentioned as a single group. Oh, Israel, God will call. Repent. The bridegroom is calling the bride, the church, that we as a corporate body of Christ will be received by our groom. That our salvation is in some sense corporate as well. Which means we have corporate responsibility. Next time when you read through the Old Testament, pay attention to corporate responsibility. How many times God has judged the entire family or entire, entire tribe because of corporate responsibility? So this is a time that I need to make you feel a little uncomfortable. What's happening in America? We are responsible together, which leads to, it involves not just the personal lives, but also systematic evil in racial discrimination. So in order for me to explain clearly, I need to explain what these two things are working. 
definition first. Systematic evil is a system that marginalizes people, even if those in, in the system don't intend to do so. So Tim Keller's definition. So in terms of responsibility, there is a different levels of responsibility. One group of people might say, I know what's happening in the system. I'm happy with it. And the second group say, might say, I know what's happening, and I'm indifferent to it. The third group say, says, I know what's happening, but I'm upset, but I don't do anything. Fourth group, I don't know what's happening, and I don't care. It will, it will bother some. I'd rather not know. Let's make a quick uh, example. Holocaust happened. Nazi Germany, the leaders, and then all those people who led that movement of genocide, discriminating Jewish, uh, mainly Jewish, but other people also too, systematically killing to the leaders. The second group was there are people who are older, your guards, you're told what to do. You have to obey your commanding officer. The third group might be the people who are civic leaders or what's happening is rumors are there, you have no enough, you know enough about it, and you are still very upset but didn't do anything about it. And then finally, regular German citizens. Don't know about it and don't care to know because it will rock my boat. But amidst of all this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as a German who stood up as a Christian, as a Christ follower, not just as a pastor, I cannot go along with this. And he died for that very reason. In Jesus' words, if you lose your life for my sake, you will gain it. If you try to save, love your life, you will lose it. People, people of God, sisters and brothers, listen to me. I am not saying tomorrow you get a megaphone and start marching everywhere. And I am saying begin a new work in you. And as a church also, too. So let's make some applications. Oh, before we do that, the last one, it calls not only changes in negative things, what, what not to do, but also celebration, but also for celebration of ethnic diversity and racial harmony. As a Christian, as a Christian church, this should be our dream and passion as well. So three applications. Number one, we must acknowledge the current reality of racial problems and issues, starting with our own personal lives and in the world in which we live. Let's not be the people who are in denial. Number two, we must surrender to God all forms of racism, blatant and or subtle in us, humbly seeking the Spirit's guidance. Christ died on the cross for our sins to bring us into the reconciliation not only to God but to one another which means we're going to continually make a mistake. And we will continually fall into the trap, being cowards sometimes or being ignorant at times. So this confession is not a once-for-all thing. We need to continuously pursue 
the life of forgiveness in the gospel. The forgiveness it precedes before us, before our admission. There is forgiveness in God. Remember last, last Sunday? Because one thing that we ought to be very careful in our attitude is that as much as we begin to know things and become more aware of it, what should distinguish from the Christian movement for racial reconciliation from the non-Christian secular movement is our attitude. There is no room for self-righteousness. We need to continuously stay broken before God. So another, another thing about it is a justice issue. We should sometimes stand up for the justice, unjust situation, especially systematic evil. I'm containing myself because I read too much that disturbed me. If I start sharing, I'm going to go over another 45, one hour. But to bring to the point, this is what I mean. When we become continually uh, pursuing Christ in our brokenness, what will happen is that instead of, instead of anger and animosity and bitterness, we could surrender them, including our own victimization. I could honestly say I love people in Japan. My heart aches for people in Japan. Not to mention my close friends are Japanese Americans. Oh God, have mercy on me. Oh God, have mercy on Japanese people. Open the door of your salvation to them, I pray. So when Rika, Henry, and uh, Taco, when they ask for prayers of any kind of things, it, it just tugs the strings of my heart. That's the spirit. Holy Spirit nudging us. One of the books that I read preparing for this uh, John Piper wrote Blood Lines. So you know the one, one great thing about John Piper's ministry is that everything he wrote, it's available in PDF file online. You could read it. And it's a powerful book because he starts with his own confession of growing up in segregation and growing up as a teenage racist. And then he takes the, each chapter into the theological bedrock of the gospel. The gospel is the hope. So I, I, I share one quote in light of what we just shared. John Piper writes, Our hearts are deceitful still, and corruption remains. We must constantly lean heavily on the gospel of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. We must persistently conform our minds to Christ in the gospel and adjust our walk to be in step with the truth of the gospel, we must continually put to death what is earthly in us because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. May the Lord give us absolute honesty with ourselves and with him. May he expose every remnant of sinful prejudice May we never use the legitim legitimacy of generalizing to cloak the sin of prejudice. May the glory of Christ shine in our lives. God help us. So final application. We must grow in taking active steps for racial reconciliation, harmony, 
and diversity as Christ followers and a local church. So here's my declaration. I'm a Korean-American pastor. We have quite a few Korean-Americans part of this church family. We are not Korean church. We are not even Asian church. We are church of Christ that opens to all people. Because that is the heartbeat of Christ for his church. Having said that, here's my confession. Especially non-Asian brothers and sisters here, would you be patient with our church? Because in some, some sense, the Asian Americans becomes comfortable. We have a limitation to invite, to become diverse in our ethnicity, to be intentional to, to in celebrating racial diversity and harmony. So in other words, just because you say, yeah, we want to, that doesn't mean people will feel comfortable in putting it in. So I have a challenge for you as, a past, as your pastor. So starting next Sunday, would you look around? If anyone is new, especially those people who look a little different and maybe you don't feel comfortable, go to them. In the name of Christ, welcome them. Sit with them. Don't sell anything to them. <laughs> so I am admitting my limitation. If I were born in America and my capacity, cultural capacity, to use my American culture to embrace more, I could be more effective. But I surrender to, the God, to God also too. Because what I am limited in my weakness, God is strong in his glory. He gets the credit, not me. Our church doesn't get the credit as an organization, but the Christ, the head, gets the credit. Amen? Amen? Are you with me on this? I know some of you guys will feel comfortable, feeling really uncomfortable growing me because as we become more intentional about it, the comfort zone is the little God of this Orange County. I would like to close with this one final quote, none other than Martin Luther King Jr. In my research, not just because of uh, media and whatnot, I was struck by this deep impact of Christ through this one man who gave his life. And I'm thankful to the Martin Luther King Jr. with his legacy, Christian legacy. He writes, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church today as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for 20th century. This is from the famous letter from the uh, Birmingham, right? In, in burning in jail. He wrote it decades ago, but it is as fresh as, as if he's writing to us today. Let's give heed. Would you bow your head as we close?
I'd like to create a little space for you and God. How has God spoken to you? Maybe you're delighted to know your conviction got stronger. Maybe you felt convicted by the Spirit, not, not mere words of Paul Kim. And whatever that comes to your mind, remember He is God who loves you, He's your Abba, and surrender that to Him. Oh, Father, thank you for this crystal clear voice amidst differing voices and polarizations of these racial issues. And we look at the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for our reconciliation for with one another and also with God. We're mindful of the fact that we come short in obedience, in congruence as a Christ followers. And I do pray that you will transform our hearts and our lives. And our church is small, but we ask that, that you will use us for your glory. Facing systematic evil, we feel helpless. Give us courage. As Martin Luther King Jr. challenged us, help us to follow that example of Apostle Paul Christ himself. Help us not to be afraid to pay the sacrificial cost. For our church, we pray for the beauty and joy of diversity that we will open our arms and hearts to, to the people who are different, but one family of God. Without you, Lord, without Holy Spirit, it is impossible. So change us. Use us for your glory. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.